Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before we get started with our program, I just wanted to give you, some of you, an update here on what's going on. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me if we're going to still be here when the coronavirus goes away, and will we actually be able to open our doors? You know, nonprofits are funded by donations, and things get a little bit challenging during times like this when money gets tight and people lose their jobs, but um, I promise you, I promise you that with our incredible team, yes, we will have a program to reopen, and we will have the means to do so. And I'm answering this as the co-founder of this great organization. You know, we started 20 years ago, and in the beginning, as we figured things out, and we all know how tough things can be in the beginning of, of anything new, we were barely getting by. We everything everything was trial and error. We tried this program, it wasn't, you know, giving us what we needed, so we back away from that. We tried different forms of fundraising, but over time, we, you know, we did we obviously made some mistakes, but we learned and we grew. And right about the time when things were getting ready to take off, I had the privilege of of hearing um, from a gentleman by the name of Greg Bell, and no, he's not our guest today, um, but he wrote a book called Water the Bamboo, and it's about the beginning stages of an organization and how long it takes from the time you plant a seed until the time you actually see growth. And the giant timber bamboo is this magnificent creature <laughs> that grows very, very fast once it starts. The challenge is it takes about three to five years from the time you plant the initial seed until you see anything poke through the soil. And then over the next six months or so, it's going to grow 90 feet, which is just phenomenal if you ask me. So, but the, the key is in between during that three to five years before you see anything, you have to keep watering the bamboo or it will die. And it's the same thing with an organization. You know, if, if Sharon and I, when we started this organization, hadn't kept watering it every day, it probably would not have survived. And it took us years of watering those seeds that we planted, and it finally took root, and we began to see the real results of our efforts in 2007 when we finally held our first major fundraiser, got our first major grant from Susan G. Komen, and the rest is history. So we've been going strong. Um, yes, things we've had to retool a little bit, but we're doing everything we can to assure that we can continue on in the next 20 to 40 years. We've actually even established an endowment fund, which is very cool, so we can support the future of Breast Friends. And with our amazing staff, we have retooled to make sure we can continue to bring state-of-the-art support programs to those who need it most. And, you know, we have to be creative in times like this, but our staff is very creative. So we figured out some things to do, and today one of those people who helped us figure out how to retool is my wonderful guest, um, you have all heard her before. She's been a co-host with me. She's been an actual guest on my show, and she's a guest again today. And Yvonne Neidiger is the program director for Breast Friends. And I'll tell you, she's just 
she's so so compassionate and caring about our patients. They all love her to pieces. And Yvonne has really stepped into those shoes that were kind of left open when Sharon decided to retire. And we're going to talk today about some of the wonderful things that she's doing, including the different phases of the cancer journey and how we navigate that journey with each patient because everyone is different. So with that, um, Miss Yvonne, you know, we've always been about the hugs at Breast Friends. In fact, there was a time when we joked about having a hug counter, a little button. Every time you give a hug, you, you click it and you count up your hugs by the end of the day. Sadly, we can't hug. We can maybe fist bump, but we, we can't hug. So we've had to do things a little bit different. But, you know, but I'll tell you, the hug, the best hugger in our company probably is is Miss Yvonne. So um, welcome, Yvonne. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, it's my pleasure as always. And, and sending you one of my gigantic hugs, Becky, <laughs> because, you know, I, I, it's true. We've had a really hard time with that particular part of this puzzle. And um, I've noticed that lately my arms are a little bit shorter than they used to be <laughs> because, you know, I haven't practiced moving them around. My poor husband, every time I walk by him, I put him in a death grip because <laughs> it's like, honey, I'm not getting my daily rations of hugs, so you're going to be <laughs> You're it. <laughs> Tag, you're it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, I know this is like a whole new world for us, too. And, and for the patients that we serve, you're not getting our normal right now. You're getting, you're getting our next best, you know, which has been, I think, pretty, pretty adequate for, you know, all the conditions and things going on in this world right now. So, Yvonne, I know that we, we don't have a lot of time to ever on our show. It's only a, about an hour program. But I wanted to... Let, I wanted to get back to the basics with you because, you know, we hear so much about COVID and yes, it's definitely impacting us as well. But for the life of a cancer patient, there are so many different phases of the journey, you know, from the moment of diagnosis through treatment, beyond treatment, you know, there's so much. And, and I really want us to get back to the basics of what patients experience and how we can all be of support during this this kind of difficult time. So I'm calling this Cancer 101. And so I'd really like to get back to that with you. So why don't we start? I'm going to give you the, the microphone here. And let's just start by talking about what happens from that moment of diagnosis. How, how does that impact the patients and how can we help? Yeah, you know, I, I when we talk about phases of cancer, I always like to tell patients that, you know, there are really three very distinct parts to this journey that they're now on. And I think the minute you hear the words, um, you have cancer, you kind of step into a new arena. And um, this initial stage, the stage where you are going from um, my normal life, you know, healthy, active, um, not having the word cancer in your vocabulary, to hearing that you have cancer, you shift into this almost time warp. And it is a an extremely slippery time in the process because it's the time when there are a lot of words coming at you that you've never heard before, um, certainly not in the context of your own life. Um, there's a lot of emotions that are suddenly hitting you, ranging from um, the big why, you know, why me, why, why is this happening, to the anger of of, what do you mean I have cancer? I, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm exercising. I'm eating right. 
I don't have a history of breast cancer in my family. You know, these are things that um, in a split second, these emotions are bombarding women as they hear those words. And you combine that with all of, as, you know, both Becky and I know from our own personal journeys, there is no um, short, quick, fast ticket with cancer. You are suddenly going to nine appointments in a week and talking to various doctors and scheduling different scans. And, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on in absolutely no time at all. So, yes, this initial initial phase of the diagnosis is where um, at Breast Trends, what we've found is um, people oftentimes when they are first diagnosed, they, they tread water because they don't know. And their friends and family, you know, as we both know, are trying to do their best to say, um, oh, don't worry, you're going to be fine. And, you know, the ever famous, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're tough. You've got this. Don't worry. Which, and of course, we hope, it, we hope it's true. We hope that that is true. Yeah. And, but sometimes it, it's, there's a little different story or the battle may be a little more difficult than all that. So while we appreciate the people saying that because they're just trying to support you and be that person for you, sometimes it goes a different direction and we need to be aware of that and be sensitive to it. I'm, I'm saying that because I think otherwise we can feel invalidated at times. Yeah. You know, we have these concerns and these worries and our friends are telling us that we're, you know, we don't need to worry about it. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. and, I, and I, I call it, I, I kind of refer to this as pulling people off the ceiling because by the time they usually get to me, um, whether their doctor has referred them or they found us on social media or they've heard your radio show and heard about our program, whatever it happens to be, if they have found me, normally they are so tightly embedded in their ceiling with all of the emotions and stress mm-hmm. that they've held in because people around them are saying, you know, all those those wonderful words that yes, mm-hmm. we want to we want to assume, but they haven't had an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm scared, yeah. or I have children and I want to see them graduate, I want to see them get married, because unfortunately, when you hear cancer, your mind goes down that rabbit hole, and it's a very realistic rabbit hole because we're human. And yeah. if you have, you know, any bit of knowledge about cancer at all, we all know that facing mortality is a, a, a real gut punch. Yeah, it's a gut punch. And especially with so many of my patients being diagnosed at a young age, um, this is right out of left field. So finding ways to pull them off that ceiling in that initial time period before they start treatment is really, really important and a big part of my job. Yeah, and and you know, and you do it really well. And we've also got other volunteers too that help with that. And um, so when you do call our office, you know, we may not have fully staffed right now, but we will do our absolute best to get back with you because it does take a village to make all of this this happen. And Yvonne, you do it really well, and you've done a great job training um, the other volunteers that help out as well. So, um, so yeah, reeling them off the ceiling, that's something that we kind of figured that out 20 years ago. That They're just like, ah, and part of that's because of our own journeys. I mean, I know I was firmly planted on the ceiling for a while. 
And, you know, Sharon had to pull me off of it. So it's, you know, it's a very scary time and a very scary place to be because you just don't know. It's that fear of the unknown, I think, that certainly contributes to the problem. But I like what you said. Sometimes we hold in our real feelings because the people around us are trying to be positive and they don't want to hear any of the negative. They don't want to hear that you're concerned that you might not survive this because that's being negative. And, um, but it's also real, you know, it's what we're really feeling and really thinking. And so you've got to be able to express that to somebody. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, um, I'm the queen of analogies. And people, that, people that know me well, we well know that it, there isn't an analogy I haven't met that I don't absolutely adore. And one of the ones I like to use is, you know, as we as people um, have stress come into our life, we tend to pack it down. We tend to take whatever is coming at us, and whether it's management skills or the fact that we are just trained, we're wired to take things in and just say, okay, I've got this, I can handle this, which is why I think we're a society of ulcers and heart attacks and all sorts of other things, because the stress that we take in, the anxiety we take in, we tend to hold really tight to the cuff. And so when um, I start talking with women, I've discovered that if they're given the opportunity to share just a tiny piece of what they're really feeling behind the I'm fine conversation, Mm -hmm. Um, there's uh, the dam breaks. Uh, so I refer to that as turning the valve. I, I think what happens is we get that valve that you can almost imagine an imaginary valve up by your heart that we, we screw on so tight because we're trying to hold all of this in. And if you were to suddenly start to turn that valve slowly, there are two things that are either going to come out. One is going to be steam, because when you have pressure, steam comes mm-hmm. out. And I always yeah. say those are the women that call and scream and rant and rave and are frustrated and angry, which is perfectly healthy. The other is tears because you hold in that, that, that sense of, of what you're truly feeling. And once you start letting that out, that steam becomes those tears. And I've, I've encouraged women, especially during this initial time, to not be afraid of their tears, to not consider their tears to be something that is a negative expression of their emotions. Mm-hmm. It is an opportunity to turn the valve. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, everybody knows nothing is better than a good cry, right? <laughs> and it is yeah. not a sign of weakness. It is, it's, no. a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's more a sign of awareness, I think. And I love that valve, turning the valve. I love that. It's a, that's a good analogy. Yay. Now, <laughs> I, like, I like good analogies, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's one we can all envision. And it's one that what can happen then is that analogy can segue to the people around you. And this mm-hmm. is another thing that happens in the very beginning is whether you have a partner, a close friend, um, a family member, sometimes moms and, and, and dads are so busy saying, don't worry, sweetheart, you're going to be fine, or husbands are, are wrapping their arms around you saying, don't cry. And again, that valve doesn't get turned properly. Mm-hmm. And if you can explain the need for that to those people and just say, hey, you know what, when I'm crying... I need to just cry. 
And if you yeah. can just wrap your arms around me and let it roll. <laughs> um, I, I, my husband, God bless him, learned this really fast in our relationship with cancer. And he learned, um, we shared, we had a conversation about it. And I told him, I said, honey, I need to cry. That's what's going to help me. And, you know, 10 years, 10 years later, if I give him the look, and I've got, you know, the alligator tears going. He knows to just move in, wrap his arms around me, and let me go. And generally speaking, when you've had that moment of release, whether it's the tears or the, the rant, you're going to feel better. And the people who are there for you are suddenly going to go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. That's yeah. what she needs. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, you don't have to be afraid of the tears and your partner doesn't have to be afraid of the tears. I like that. I have a, because I've seen Mark and I know how you guys are together and I can <laughs> see him coming in and wrapping his arms around you <laughs> instead of getting out of the way and letting you just cry on your own. He's the one that's going to be there to wrap his arms around you. And you guys have a beautiful relationship and a beautiful love story. Speaking of which, you and I, we were all married on the same day. Well, not the same day, but the same same anniversary date, which was May 17th. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, we have a few we, years we on you, though. We had an eventful weekends in our world because the anniversary of Mount St. Helens erupting was the day after both of our anniversary, and we always laugh because, you know, big things happen on that weekend, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Listen, um, I am going to ask our engineer to skip this first break, if that's okay with you. We do have to do our second break because we have a wonderful sponsor that needs to have their message heard. It's Electa and they've they've sponsored this program for us for the year and they are a wonderful company so I'll give them their little plug right now. They are distributors of a very fine radiation equipment and they do a great job. I met them at a conference, but we're, we don't have, we're, we're going to skip through the first break because we have so much to talk about. So we're going to, we're just going to continue on, but we do have to do sure. the second break. Okay. <laughs> so, I'll muzzle myself. I promise. <laughs> and I know that, I know that Aaron heard me. Aaron is our wonderful engineer. I know he just heard me because he just sent me a note. <laughs> But anyway, um, so we're we're good. So let's just keep going. So let's talk ab- about kind of what's changing direction just a little bit. So this is still at that point of diagnosis. You know, maybe you've mm-hmm. just gone in for a mammogram if they're even doing them. I heard mammograms are down like eighty five percent or something. People, they're not doing them right now, which is. Um, really difficult because if you found a lump yourself that anxiety of waiting so till you can get a mammogram because of all this covid stuff that's kind of interfering with all of that um you know you need to be your own best advocate and really push hard to to make that happen but there are clinics that where you can get mammograms other than just at a hospital setting so so really push for that if you feel something but um but there are some things that have changed right now because even if you do get a, a mammogram and you are found that that there's probably cancer there. You know, you can't take support people necessarily with you to that appointment. How has that impacted the patients that you've spoken to? Oh, in a huge way. You know, nothing breaks my heart more than to hear that a woman's been diagnosed during this time period because obviously, uh, you know, the dynamics have all changed. And um, there is no way to get around the fact that social isolation when you have a diagnosis of cancer is like piling on another layer of stress and anxiety and, and everything that comes with it. So you really have to be mindful of the fact that you have to take care of yourself 
in a way that's going to make this a more healthy, healthy process for you. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. But one of the things I hear quite a bit is that people are not able to take people in with them to their appointments. And Mm -hmm. gosh, um, I think this is another thing that is a common denominator with women being diagnosed. And that's suddenly the fact that we can no longer hear or retain any information. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things come at us that are so foreign and so scary. And I can remember going to my first appointment that was my real official appointment, and um, I had two of my friends with me because I knew I was not going to be able to, number one, emotionally manage it well, and number two, be able to be aware and in the moment of what was being told to me. I needed to have another set of ears. So um, what is discouraging is obviously the fact that you're not able at this time to take people in with you, generally speaking, to your appointments, though I will say I'm going to adjust that slightly. I did hear recently of a woman who was recently diagnosed and was going in for her pre-surgery appointment, and she was able to take her husband in with her for the conversation. So they they may be lightening that up a bit on situations where they know um, that support is needed, but I think that's a case-by-case situation. Yeah, and I know the states are starting to open a little bit, too, so that might be, you know, causing some of this. But but just to our listeners out there, please, if you do go out, because you're so vulnerable right now and not everybody pays that close of attention to it, please wear your mask everywhere you go. I know there's a lot of, of uh, controversy around all of that, but it is so much better to be safe than sorry. So please wear your mask everywhere you go because of your condition that you're in. And those who are supporting you need to wear their masks too so they don't bring something home to you. So I just want that's my little plug. <laughs> so. No, and, and it's an important plug because, and it kind of leads to the fact that, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, doing the things that help you, you know, being, we, we shift from being about the people around us to being about us. It's all about you. When you've been diagnosed with cancer, it is all about you. And part of all about you is, and this is Mama Yvonne coming out, um, taking care of yourself, looking at situations like what we're going through right now and saying, all right, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, number one, I'm not going anywhere where I am going to be at high risk. There is no reason during this time period for you to be out gallivanting around. Um, If there is a need and you do not have someone to help you with that need, um, going to the grocery store, something like that, then you mask up. You mask up, you glove up, you do everything you need to do. When you come home, you wipe those containers down. Um, This is not a time to mess with anything that could potentially put your treatment process and your life in peril. Yeah. So um, it, it is, it's really important, and I, I agree with you, Becky. I think, you know, we all are kind of um, in that, that same stage where we see this on television, we see it around us, but we don't understand the enormous um, effect it can have, and especially on a cancer patient. For, so yeah. please, please, please take this very seriously at this particular time, and every, everyone should be, but especially someone who's been newly diagnosed. Really important, I, really important. I agree. I want to I want to ask you about you you had mentioned something to me about rebooting the stress response for women past treatment. What what is yeah. can you 
explain that to me? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing, and, and I know we wanted to talk a bit about the Zoom programs. We've been doing a bit of um, the Zoom programs, and, and as I've talked to the community of women, that many of which I've been with since their diagnosis, so potentially over the course of three years, I'm finding a lot of them are extremely anxious because they're having almost a, like a deja vu of what they felt when they were first diagnosed. Uh, and this is happening over and over again. So this isn't a, a one-time case. And what it amounts to is, you know, with COVID, everyone has been forced into a sense of isolation. Everyone's been forced into a sense of, my gosh, there's something out there that could potentially make me very sick or take my life. And this, this feeling of being out of control, of not having control of your world, not being able to go where you want to go, see who you want to see. And these are all emotions that a woman who goes through cancer experiences. And uh, I even have some of my new people who are saying, gosh, you know, I'm, I've, I've already been through what most of the country is going through and the world. You know, cancer patients go through exactly what they're going through right now. We've been through this or are going through this because of our cancer journey. So to suddenly have them thrown back into that feeling of, gosh, this feels like I felt when I got diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. I don't have control. I'm in peril. And, and the future <clears throat> is, is really being controlled by someone else and a disease. Yeah. So, wow, that's a, that's a lot of deja vu right there. And there's a lot of people out there. I'm sure right now they're doing the bobblehead. I can, I can feel it through the radio. I can feel that bobblehead going, yeah, you know what? I didn't understand why I'm two years out and I am so much more stressed about this COVID virus. Well, that's a lot of it. It's taking yeah. you back. Yeah. yeah. No, I taking agree. But I, I do want to thank the people. When, when I see people out and about and they are wearing masks, I do want to thank them because I don't know oh, if yeah. they're there because they're protecting themselves or if they're protecting you know, everyone around them. And, and I know, again, there's so much controversy around all of that, but because they say, well, more people died of this, that, and the other thing. But here's the difference. If we hadn't practiced any kind of social distancing, we didn't wear masks, we, we kind of treat it like we do the normal flu, we just go out and about and hope we don't get it. Um, I think that the numbers would be far, far different than they are right now. So I am sure that it's because people took the time, took that made the effort to be safe, um, and to try to, to flatten the curve, as they say, I think that that probably helped us. So, um, you know, and I hope we don't get a, a second surge is all I can yeah, say about yeah. that. So, and um, kudos so. to the businesses out there that also recognized, you know, yeah. whether it's the grocery store that requires you to wear masks to come in or, you yeah. know, even just the businesses that have closed, knowing that this is going to be difficult for, you know, not only their, their profit, but also for their employees, but they know that it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I applaud as much as I know it's incredibly hard and I pray we can get back on track quickly. Um, it's the right thing to do, like you say, it's yeah. the right thing to yeah. do. Well, I'm going to go on record and I'm going to say something that I haven't really talked to a lot of people about, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I want to give a big shout out to Delta Airlines. My daughter is getting married in July. She bought a house and they live in Georgia. She bought a house in order to accommodate her new family when they after the wedding. And she's been living out of boxes 
this whole time. And I had told her um, before all of this broke down that when, when the house deal went through, I would go help her empty boxes. And she's been kind of stressed over all of it because she's been living out of these boxes. She works from home. And, you know, this isolation is, is kind of wearing a lot of people down. So my husband and I bought tickets on Delta. We, they, they're flying out no more than 60% full and our, the flights were even less than that. Everybody wears masks at the, you know, at the Delta counter in the area and on the plane, including the staff, including all the flight attendants, the pilot, they're all wearing masks. And I have never felt so safe. They've got a new process for cleaning the planes. The planes were were there waiting for us and they are allowing a lot of time in between arrival and departure to make sure that the flights are clean. And I'm very very happy we went. I talked to my doctor because he knows what I'm experiencing right now, and he knows about my my stage four diagnosis that I'm battling right now. And he said, "Becky, some things are worth the risk." And he knew that helping our daughter was yeah. worth the risk. And so we did it. And right now I'm self isolating just in case I picked up anything, you know, when I was you know anywhere there, um, just to yeah. make sure. But I felt very safe um, on the airplane and in the airport, which was almost. A graveyard. It was so empty. Um, so anyway, my my hats off to Delta Airlines for doing everything they can to keep their passengers safe, and I really appreciated that because I've heard some horror stories about other airlines that are not quite being so safe. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share all of that with you. So Yvonne, let's switch gears just a little bit because I don't want to run out of time. For we have so much still. Let's I talk know. a little bit about about during treatment, you know, because again, we're talking about cancer 101, back to the basics. Somebody's newly diagnosed, they're still kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with their treatment plan. What what might they expect? You know, I mean, I've been through this so many times. I've been, I've run the gambit of everything. <laughs> so, but what is a, what is a first time cancer patient likely, what should they expect in this next few weeks, months? For treatment well, options. And, and, you know, this is something that um, I feel really passionately about, and that is the fact that everyone is their own story. And, you know, as you move into something like a diagnosis of cancer, you know, obviously the, the big hitters in this, this what to expect are going to be things like chemotherapy, surgeries, and radiations. But I think the biggest question people have when they look at those three things is, how is it going to affect me? You know, what's, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? What's, what am I going to feel like? How am I going to feel? Can I take care of my children? All of these questions that bubble up in our head, um, we know. We know that we're walking into things that are fraught with opportunities for side effects, for um, time down, for recovery. All of that is, is a known. Um, it's the unknown that gets really overwhelming. How is it going to affect me and I, I like to refer to this this kind of mentality as you know there's a statistic for everything we live in a statistical world and statistically they will tell you that the chances that you may get this side effect or you may have that reaction or you may have this might run towards um, oh say sixty percent or forty percent but Really, a statistic is just a number, and everyone is their own story. And as we talk about, and I talk a lot about not reading ahead in the chapter, 
um, when you read a book, you don't jump ahead to the, the third chapter when you're trying to figure out, you know, what's <laughs> happening. Oh, I'm just going to go ahead and read down here to the third chapter or the fourth chapter, and then I'm going right. to try and figure out what's going on. We want to read this chapter by chapter. And as you go into each of these sections, let's say we were taking chemotherapy, and if a woman said to me, well, how am I going to react? What's going to happen? I'm going to tell them it's like a pendulum swing. You've got the middle, right? You've got that section where the ball is completely stable. It's just kind of hanging out. Now, with that being said, that ball has the opportunity with any little jiggle, any little treatment, any little medication to swing. It can Mm -hmm. swing to the right, which could mean that you're going to have those side effects and maybe a little more of them. But it can also swing to the left where, you know, you're going to have a little bit of side effect, but not a lot. And honestly, I have equally as many women swing to the left with, let's just use an example of chemotherapy. Am I going to feel sick? Um, I have lots of my women who, after chemotherapy treatment, say, you know, I felt a little sick to my stomach, but nothing bad. That ball swung to the left. But then Mm -hmm. you have women who say, okay, Lord have mercy, bring out the medication, and it swings to the right. So as they head into these different stages, I always tell them, don't look at the opportunities to have all of these things happen. Look at it as something that as it comes along, you'll manage it. You're going to read mm-hmm. each chapter at a time. So, yeah, it's, it's not a guarantee that everything bad that is associated with chemotherapy or surgery or radiation is going to happen to you. That, you know, what I, I want to add something to that. That is absolutely correct. You know, with the, with the diagnosis that I'm battling right now with stage four, I mean, it's kind of spread a lot of places. But um, I've been on some pretty heavy-duty drugs that had some pretty rough side effects and with very, you know, maybe not as great an outcome as we'd hoped. But my doctor put me on a new drug that also has a lot of side effects, and I am having very, very few of them. I mean, surprisingly so. And yet it seems to be having a little bit of a positive impact. So, um, you know, you, you yeah. just, you never, you never know. I expected because the other ones, I felt most of the side effects that I'd feel them here too. But mm-hmm. but this new drug, you know, some people have side effects that are not pleasant. And for me, he looked at me and he goes, wow, that's interesting. You haven't even had, you know, the the uh, diarrheal one, <laughs> which is blah, blah, really blah. cool. <laughs> Especially since there's not very much toilet paper out there in this world. That's a really convenient thing to not have to deal with. So <laughs> I'm just, you know, sorry, people, yeah, if I grossed you out. It's that pendulum swing, you know, and, yeah. and it's encouraging. I think it's a little bit looking like looking at the cup half empty or half full. Um, right. It's the same with the pendulum swing. We can look at these, these treatments, these surgeries, and all of these things as having that opportunity opportunity to go one way or another. The good news is when it does go to the right or whichever way you want to be, the, the way that's a little trickier, uh, they have tools. They have things to help. You're sure. not left out there on your own to try and figure out, oh, great, you know, I have this side effect. Now what do I do? They're, right. They are there. Your team is there to help you find balance. So, you know, this all leads into the, the unfortunate um, situation of looking at the Internet 
And, yeah. and that's another pet peeve of mine. That's a yeah, big pet mine peeve too. of mine. <laughs> oh, people, people, people. All right. So if you have heard the information that you have cancer, please don't make the first step you make into the world a miscellaneous blog put on by unreputable or unsubstantiated sources just because um, it looks pretty or it looks like there are people on it um, that have been there, done that, um, because I, I, here's something I, I, again, my analogy is when you go on and look at reviews for, let's say, a restaurant or a hotel, who's most likely to leave a review? The person that had a fabulous time and walks away going, gee, that was great, or the person that's got a lot to complain about? Exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. So, yeah. yeah. So if you are going to look at the Internet, look at the source. If it's just yeah. a personal blog post, read it with caution. Um, but, you know, go to reliable sources if you're yeah. just trying to get some general information, like medical medical yeah, spots. Web, but you know, doing WebMed, web going MD to the American and, Cancer yeah. Society, WebMD, and um, yeah. even Susan G. Komen. You know, there are reputable places out there in your medical community. They're going to, in most cases, give you a packet of information that's going to be filled with all kinds of answers to mm-hmm. questions. And you do have people there that can also help you navigate where are some good sites to get on, but just yep. to randomly go on the internet and start searching, what does it feel like to have chemo? Oh, yeah. Lord save us. I know. This is yeah, not where the, you want to be. People, exactly. The people with the worst experiences will tell you, I think that there's a drug called adromycin, and it's otherwise known as the red devil, and I'm sure uh-huh. it got its nickname by people who had terrible side effects, and, and it is a kind of a tough drug. It's a pretty pretty high level um, drug and it's used for some pretty serious situations but but it's still doable and a lot of people do it. I've done six doses in my life and there's a six dose maximum so I never have to have it again which is cool but um, <laughs> but it's it, you know it's but yeah so definitely stay away from those kinds of things. Listen we're going to go out to break but before we do I want to just say one thing about statistics because I think it will actually really complement what you were just saying about them. Statistics are are just numbers. And let me give you an example of 100% correct statistics that's also 100% wrong, okay? So if I have a six-foot person and a four-foot person, their average height is five feet, right? Because six plus four is 10, divided by two is five. So a six-foot and a four-foot, their average height is five feet, and that is a 100% accurate statistic. But which one of those two people, the six-foot and the four-foot, are five feet? Neither one of them. So this is an example of a statistic that is 100% correct and 100% wrong at the same time. So I just like to add that. When I go out and speak, I have this wonderful little visual aid I put up on the screen that demonstrates that perfectly. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, so don't get hung up on statistics either because they are just numbers. And my doctor told me when I told him I don't want to have any clue as to how much time I have left or any of those things. And he said, you know, Becky, the one thing they get wrong more often than anything is the expiration date. So he won't give me one anyway, no matter what. So that's cool. I like that. Anyway, with that, we are going to go out to break. So stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the new direction that Breast Friends has gone to accommodate all of this during this this time of crisis. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. 
We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. And before we pick up where we left off, I want to do a really quick little plug for a Facebook page that we have that is open to anyone around the globe. And it is called Breast Friends Around the Globe. And I would love it if you if you don't know about that, go on. You have to join it because it's a group. It's not an actual page. It's a group. Um, but you will be approved automatically. And this is a place where we post the most recent episodes where you can listen live or you can listen on demand after the fact. Um, but you can also make comments directly about each episode if you are so inclined. If you're doing something wonderful to help in the community of cancer patients, you can post what you're doing too. We do ask, please, no political commentary, um, but just keep it positive and upbeat. And we would love to have this be a, a wonderful place that people around the globe can go and listen to. We also have a lot of of uh, Facebook groups for the more local community, and I'm sure we, that Yvonne can talk about that at the end. Um, but do that. Also, share this episode. If you like the show and you want to have your friends hear it, you can share the episodes. We're available on many, many different podcast platforms. And then the last way you can support us is, you know, this is our 20th year as Breast Friends. The year is 2020. And if you went online and made a $20.20 donation, we'd know it came through the radio show. 
and you would be supporting us so that when we do get back to where we can go back into the office and do that, um, we'll just be that much stronger and you can be part of our success. So please consider that. And with that, let's bring Yvonne back on and we're going to talk about what Breast Friends is doing now to kind of help ease this difficult time where we can't give hugs on a regular basis, where we can't sit across the table from you because we still have a six-foot rule, et cetera. So, Yvonne, what are we doing now? Let's talk about these Zoom meetings. Man, let me tell you, talk about a learning curve, and and you know me well, Becky. Jumping into the world of technology wasn't necessarily (laughs) the thing I planned on doing, but I will say that um, the opportunity presented itself to get on board with the Zoom meetings and we were we were really proactive in making that connection with the program and getting a format set up because with breast friends one of the things as much as you know the one-on-one conversations are important and especially during that time of early diagnosis as women start to move through this process there is a need to connect with other women who have gone through or are going through because there is a sense of community and empathy and understanding that you really only get from another woman who's been there. There's a, there's a great quote that actually is the tagline to our Young Warrior program, and it's by C.S. Lewis, and, I, and, and it gives me goosebumps whenever I read this, and it says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Mm, that really like sings that. to the... Isn't that great? Do you just yeah. have goosebumps? Because... Yep. Everyone who goes through a diagnosis, when you meet another woman who is in the same space as you and she goes, oh my gosh, that's the same way I feel or I understand, there's that instantaneous connection and that's really what we've tried to build and to lose that physical connection created a, a, almost like a vacuum effect. It's like it sucked all of that out of us. So we had to find a way very quickly to bring that community back together. So Zoom was, we Zoomed into Zoom, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. We use it for a lot of things now. Even our board meetings are done over Zoom. I kind of like yeah. that, though. I think we might want to keep that one going. <laughs> Well, and and I will say I I like the Zoom for a lot of reasons, and I'll give you the pluses first. Um, I do find that with Zoom, we have a broader outreach. Um, We're Mm -hmm. able to accommodate women who, when when you're in a situation where you're maybe tired or not feeling well or just, um, you know, live across town and you don't want to get in your car and drive to a meeting or a support group or a workshop, um, to be able to just cozy back into your lounge chair but still be a part of what's happening is terrific. That has been, I think, one of the biggest aha moments for us is we've realized that we can utilize this, and we will continue, like you say. This is something that we'll continue to utilize as a resource to reach out, and I'm hoping that other communities out there, other other breast cancer organizations are also rethinking and thinking mm-hmm. about making these types of support programs because it does provide an opportunity for women who maybe can't get to or from um, locations. But there's also a little bit of a slippery side to this, and that is that um, you have to be a little careful about where you are with your support groups and or with your treatment. A woman who's been newly diagnosed, I would never want to put in a situation of, um, and I'll back up a bit, if a woman has newly been diagnosed, should she go to a support group of any kind? And my answer to that is no. 
because she already has so much coming at her and there's so many things she's trying to determine in her own personal story that to suddenly start hearing about all of the other people's stories, it's too much information again. So to be newly diagnosed and looking for whether it's a Zoom site that is a support group or a Zoom or a physical support group wouldn't be what I would necessarily encourage, but I do encourage intending participating in workshops that are educational. Mm -hmm. So if there's a Zoom program coming on that is about um, uh, nutrition or is about uh, physical therapy after surgery, um, how to handle lymphedema, those sorts of things, those are fabulous tips and tools to put in your tool belt. That's great. Whether you're newly diagnosed or way out, that's going to be a really effective piece of information for you. Um, let me, so those Yvonne, are before you move on, sure. let me ask you a question, just a clarifying question. So um, I agree with you that I think support groups, um, because they, well, they're all different and, and they all have, they're, they're made up of people and depending on the people in the support group, it's, it could go one direction or another. So, mm-hmm. so going to a support group can be risky for that initial, you know, outreach, but when do you think um, a person is ready? Is there a timeline that they should give themselves before they think about joining a support group? Or, I mean, I'm sure it varies person by person, but is there a general guideline that you would recommend or, or how do they prepare themselves to get into a support group? Where it makes sense again, I, I, uh, yes, and that's a great question because it is a little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, there is certain variables that can come in. I have women who come on my groups who are in the middle of, say, um, getting ready for their 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 surgery after chemotherapy, and they have been able to manage it very well. But I also, I'll use an example. I had a, a support group last week where I had a woman who was heading into surgery and had questions about it, but I, which I knew. But as we came on, one of the gals who was having her personal conversation about where she was in her journey was really having a hard time managing how she felt about herself after having her surgery. And Uh so that little nugget of information and that little seed got planted in that woman Mm. who was thinking about having her surgery. And so instantaneously, I knew I had to do mop-up. I had to go back to that first woman <laughs> and say, okay, let's talk this through. So that's yeah. why I say, um, you know, you go into these situations with an opportunity to hear something that maybe is going to be a little hard for you to personally manage. And if you don't have someone in your pocket who can turn mm-hmm. around and say, let's take care of this, that can really spin you back down that rabbit hole. So yeah. my personal sense. opinion, I think that most women are at the best point of joining an actual physical support group when they are done with active treatment because at that stage they've gotten all the brass tacks done and now they're trying to figure out what does this all mean for me and that is really where that connection that chance to be with other women and understand that that third part which we probably won't cut time for today is is a time when you need to have that that sisterhood that understands Mm -hmm. but all that being said, if you find a good support group, you feel it's well-managed, you feel encouraged by it, by all means. But I would limit that to especially after that initial time when you're first diagnosed. When you start treatment, you know, if you feel strong enough and want to t- stick your toe in, that's fine. But be very, very aware that those conversations can go different directions. Yeah. 
And if you do have a, a mentor person, you know, if the hospital that you're going to has a nurse navigator program, which a lot of them mm-hmm. do now, that's kind of, that's actually become a thing since Breast Friends was formed, you know, it kind of came about after that. I think there was, maybe people saw a need for <laughs> some kind of yeah. one-on-one oh. support for their patients. <laughs> oh, hello. Um, so anyway, but a lot of the, the facilities have wonderful nurse navigators that can kind of may, maybe be that stepping stone for you if you're not within the Breast Friends um, range of being able to, you know, use our programs and our services. But um, but I also go to Breast Friends around the globe. If you have a question, we're happy to answer. It's there too. So there's a lot of ways you can get support and get some help. Um, but make sure you do. If you're feeling, if you hear something in a support group and you're feeling a little bit, ah, I wish I hadn't heard that. Well, let's talk it through because um, it's somebody else's reality. It may not be yours. And that's just that's just the life of a support group. So, so do yeah. do you know be willing to ask those questions if you're struggling with something you hear. Um, so what else, Yvonne? What are what are some of the other benefits of? We don't have a lot of time. We only have a couple, about sure. three minutes left, two minutes left. Well, so, I think one of the things that we've discovered is that it does give you the chance to um, target certain groups and give you a chance to bring together um, possibly people that might be hesitant to come together because of the types of topics that they feel are, um, are, are very personal. And one of those groups is our, our newly conceptualized um, metastatic group that we're yeah. kind of sticking our toe into. And, and the Zoom has given us the chance to do that in a realistic way because, again, women that are being diagnosed as metastatic, um, yourself obviously is our, our, our foundation for a lot of these thought processes is that you have special needs and those needs are not necessarily always being met in a traditional support group. And to give a space that is not only safe and informational, but is also accessible. Because, again, going through metastatic, as you mentioned, some of the medications and things may make it difficult to travel Mm -hmm. or to be even exposed to other people at that time. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and a lot of the issues are different, too, you know, and and when when you're dealing with metastatic cancer, it's... You know, basically, it means a lot of different things. But um, you know, it, some people consider it terminal cancer, and but it could be terminal twenty years from now. I mean, not all metastatic cancer grows fast, but but there are still issues that we deal with on a regular basis. Like, how much longer do I have? I mean, I just had my fortieth wedding anniversary. Will there be forty-one? I don't know. But sometimes you say something like that, and it can sound very negative, and we don't want it to be. But it's. It's very much in our hearts and our minds. So, you know, Absolutely. we need to have that freedom to do that. Just just so you, and to that point, Yvonne, I'm really excited about this. We're actually having a focus group today, um, today. through Zoom where we're going to talk with other metastatic survivors to find out what kind of support group is needed. Is there a support group needed? What can we do? How do we structure it? So it's kind of a focus group to get information. And then once we've kind of created something, we will be posting that so our other metastatic patients can join us as well. So um, with that, we are so close to out of time. I hate that because, you <laughs> we know, we always... Every time, Becky. <laughs> I know. We have great conversations. And, you know, Yvonne, I'm so glad that you were willing to come on. I know it was kind of short notice to plug you in here, but I'm glad it worked out and as always the information was great and appreciate your energy and your enthusiasm and your heart with which you do this so with that said uh, we will be back next week and until then remember there is always hope and we are here to help you find it 
Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.